1: I'm Samuel Mann, I am at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin, and I am joined from Whangarei, not by from Whangarei, by Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera.
0: Sure, Sam. I've been to Whangarei, but not today. i here.
1: <laughs> and how is your day going?
0: Um, it was good. Um, I'm into community collaboration at the moment, so I had a few wins today, and I'm pretty happy with how that went. What and? yours.
1: Today has concertinaed. There has been several things that have appeared which weren't on my list of things to do, which have swamped everything else and then some. So it's good to sit down and have a chat.
0: Oh, I've got just the person to chat to. It is my great pleasure to introduce Steve Franklin. Uh, Steve has been practising law in this area for a very, very long time. Um, He is uh, a partner in one of our biggest law firms, probably the biggest law firm, I guess, in the town. Um, He is, um, I love the work that he does in youth justice, um, but not only that, he's incredibly community minded, um, has been involved in organizations like hospice and and, in the financial development of our region as well, and he's just an all-round good guy. Welcome Steve and thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. We like it when all-round good guys join us on the show. How has your bubble life been?
2: Uh, well, I guess we're really lucky in that uh, at the moment we can operate a pretty large bubble in uh, Altero, um, so probably a lot better than than most peoples, but uh, uh, during the lockdown itself, uh, we were confined to just the four of us, my my wife and two young boys. Um, at the time, one was three and one was just over one, so that was uh, that ha- came with its own challenges.
1: That's little enough that you weren't trying to homeschool them?
2: (laughs) No, no, weren't trying to homeschool them. Um, But my wife is also a lawyer. uh, And so between the two of us, we were deemed uh, essential workers because we both work within um, criminal law. Uh, My wife also works in family law which as you can imagine there was a bit of a strain on a lot of relationships during that time so we were both essential workers and we both had to work more every day um, for at least part of the time during lockdown Uh, so it was a bit of a juggling exercise so that we could both do the things we needed to do as well as look after our kids.
1: Did you manage to practice from home?
2: Yes, all of a sudden, the, the Ministry of Justice decided all the things that we've been practically telling them is like um, appearing via video from almost anywhere, uh, etc. were all workable. None of those were workable until we <laughs> were locked down. It's not going to be uh, achievable or or anything like that. But it's funny how in life necessity is of all invention, as they say. And as soon as we had no choice and they didn't want the whole, we could all appear from by remote access from our own homes by video link. And you know what? It all worked perfectly well. So uh, we were able to practice. We were able to attend court from home. Um, occasionally go in court in person and um, put put on gloves and a mask and everything like that and uh, appear in my role as a duty lawyer for people who had been arrested etc but um, the vast majority of my court work and work throughout that time was all done from uh, my home office which was really good.
1: Were people being arrested? I mean I know that people were arrested but did, I, I was imagining that, that sort of petty crime type stuff would have stopped with everybody stuck at home
2: well i think um the police got a directive someone important to say that don't put it in court and unless- it needs to go to court um, so if it can be dealt with by way of a pre-charge warning or, uh, or some sort of alternative action, then that's what they did so the, the throughput rate in the district court, certainly in Sakatani or Portiki in this area of the world, was significantly diminished um, and we re- were really only dealing with people who were in custody or at real risk of going into custody um, so if you were in custody you were, you, and you had a date, they would continue to honour that date because obviously when people's liberty is at stake, you can't can't just say, sorry, we're locked down, you, uh, we're not going to give you your access to justice. Um, and that's and that's how we dealt with that, which I think was uh, entirely right and appropriate. Um, you, you can't keep someone in prison for an additional period of time just because um, there's a health risk in the world. Um, and, and so we dealt with those matters as we could.
1: Did it cause a backlog?
2: It did cause a significant backlog. For for example, uh, there were no jury trials across the whole country for uh, probably three and a half months, I think. Um, I was had a trial in the second week of the jury trials, which I think was in the beginning of July. So that's how far we were locked down. So in, in terms of that sort of thing, there was significant backlog. There were no no judge-alone trials or anything like that during the whole lockdown period. Ordinarily, say in Fakatani or Portiki, which is is where I predominantly practice, um, we might have up to five or six uh, judge-alone trials a week on average. So if you add that up around the country, there'd be an enormous workload of uh, stuff that got put off or adjourned um, because there was no alternative.
1: Have some of the practices stuck? Have some of the practices that were developed for that pandemic time the time of the lockdown have some of them because you said that some of them were things you've been arguing for for a long time have they been embedded in practice?
2: Uh, Definitely the court is far more willing to allow people to appear by what they call as VMR which is um, video meeting room system that they have uh, an encrypted uh, video conferencing system for um, the Ministry of Justice. Uh, so they're far more practical now about people not having to travel or not having to be there in person um, for certain issues. Um, they are definitely more reluctant to um, move uh, people in custody around or bring them to court for in-person appearances if they can appear by AVL uh, linked to the prison. And, and that that's a cost-cutting measure, but it's also an important um, um, non-spread of contamination measure we don't need to bundle you know 10 people into a paddy wagon and and, and drive them around the country and then things like that and then we've got a an outbreak of of any kind of infectious um ailment going around so yeah, some of that stuff has caught on um but mostly uh we're back to back to normal uh, and just operating as we always have um other than with increased hygiene standards really
1: Is there a human rights element to not appearing in person? Do you you get something different by being able to properly eyeball someone? Uh,
2: It depends on the circumstances. So from my perspective, uh, most of the people that I represent that are appearing via an AVL from prison, say, um, will be either for a routine matter such as scheduling or or progressing their case, or at the most extreme end will be a sentencing for someone who knows that they're um, most likely going to remain in prison or that prison is on the table because otherwise they wouldn't be in custody already. and I mean, they don't they don't tend to mind appearing via AVL. So to understand how it works, to get from Waikiria prison, say in Te Awamutu or Te Awamutu, to Fakatani as a two-day exercise, they, they ship you from um, Te Awamutu to Rotorua at the hub, what they call the hub there, one day, and then the next day you're picked up and brought to the or Report Court. Um, in that time, someone else quite often gets your cell and you go back into a different room and different people, different area, and it, and it all becomes quite distressing for people who have, who have started to rub shoulders with people in there and, and, and make their way along and form uh, relationships or friendships and companionships with people there. So. Um, most of my clients are quite happy to appear via AVL um, rather than the two-day trip in a paddy wagon um, here. Um, but then others like to come here and see their wha- their whānau um, in person, their Fano can attend court. But the camera systems they have now are really, really good, and they, they do actually show the... Uh, the defendant, the judge, their lawyer and the public gallery so they can actually see their whanau are in court to support them. They can see people waving to them and smiling at them and those sorts of things. And our judges are quite pragmatic. They normally allow um, a defendant a very brief moment just to say hello to their whanau and wish them well, that sort of thing, Um, within the time restrictions of the day, obviously.
1: Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Dave Dobbins' Slice of Heaven. Why this one?
2: Well, it's uh, it's Waitangi Week, which uh, is obviously uh, an important thing for our country, uh, and um, I think that if. You know, if you leave all the politics out of the COVID situation, which I wish people would do, um, we really are probably in the best place in the world right now to be. And uh, I wholeheartedly believe that we, we do live in a, in a slice of heaven. And, and certainly Maura and I are lucky enough to live in uh, the eastern Bay of Plenty in Whakatane. Uh, and that's uh, the sunniest place in New Zealand in terms of recorded sunshine hours, and it's got New Zealand's best beach at O'Horpe. So we are in a slice of heaven, and that's why I chose this song. <laughs>
0: PhD work has been really focused on um, imagination uh, as um, being the basis of empathy. And um, and I guess in your case, empathy, uh, it has to be a foundation to the work you do. Could you, could you be a lawyer if you didn't give a damn?
2: Uh, you could, but you wouldn't be, in my view, you would not be an effective lawyer or a good lawyer serving your client's best interest. And I don't think that matters on whatever type of law you do, because what we do is all about people. We, you know, we, we all uh, have to deal with people and their issues and their problems or their challenges and whatever we do, whether that's insurance law, whether it's criminal law, whether it's uh, conveyancing property um and i've always said to people there are lots of good lawyers around and there are lots of lawyers around what you need to do is find a lawyer you can get on with and that person will do your job for you and 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 that really comes down to personal empathy doesn't it it's about understanding and respecting the needs of others
0: is it hard to have empathy for people like i suppose like in the criminal system and And in the youth justice system you're dealing with people who have incredibly complex problems that 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 you couldn't relate to through your own personal experience do you find that difficult or is that that that's your empathy is that your ability to actually imagine what it's like to be in that place
2: i think that um you you build up a back catalogue of experience over time so When I first started as a young lawyer 19 or so years ago, I don't think I would have been able to adequately represent my youth justice clients the way I do now. But I often sit in meetings with those young people uh, or in family group conferences with them and I think to myself when I meet their whānau, when I see the issues that are working within their whānau or, or not working is usually the case, that there was never any chance that you weren't going to be here at some stage in life. And you learn masses about deprivation. Uh, And I don't just mean financial deprivation, but deprivation in all areas of life. Like even just basics, like having loving, caring, nurturing parents and whanau members. Um, Not having, I mean, it's amazing how many of my clients will have a, a PlayStation 4 or 5 that they want to spend as much time as they can on. So it's not a financial issue there, but they are severely lacking in an empathetic, caring, loving father figure, or um, they've got a father figure who's on his own trying to raise them and they don't have a mother and, and he he doesn't understand what they really need. He's just trying to put food on the table and um, keep a roof over their heads, those sorts of things. So uh, I guess to circle right back now to the question you asked, It's not hard with a little bit of knowledge and thought to see that um, these people do deserve empathy. They do deserve someone to stick up for them and care for them. And I take my role in in all of this as just doing that. I'm here to be their voice and speak in the system in which they're not accustomed and to tell that system what they need it to hear. And to do that effectively, I think you need to try and understand them and, um, and have empathy for their situation.
0: It amazes me that there are so many people out in the world who will point their finger at those young people that you represent and say they had a choice, not understanding that actually their their lives became foregone conclusions a long time ago, and choice did not enter into it. That amazes me. Well, I'll
2: tell you what amazes me is that when you speak to these young people, and, and, and we're talking with youth justice people from fourteen to eight, typically. Um, and you say to them, well, you knew that stealing that car was wrong. Yeah, I did know that. But you did it anyway. And you say, yeah. And then you ask them why. And they can't always give you a good reason as to why. It's normally oh, I was bored or oh, I was something for me and the bro to do or I was just tagging along with them. But the difference is is that, um, I mean, I guess probably at some stage when I was a kid I may well have thought about stealing a car myself or shoplifting or doing something stupid like that. Um, but I had the the filter that they don't have, and and that's what it comes down to. You know, I had the no no, the 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 ability to think of my future and consequence, and and that, and that is all socialization. That's the nurture versus the nature, um, and, and 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 I think that's the difference, and that and that comes from what traditionally we would call a good solid upbringing with rules and boundaries and structure and the most common thing that my young people that i represent in the youth justice forum crave structure and rules believe it or not
0: i imagine so because you're safe when you know what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it those guidelines really matter it's so funny um to hear you talking about this because I mean we've known each other a long time we've never had this actual really in-depth conversation and uh it um, and this is what the, the focus of my work has been, is looking at choice, but looking at our young people who lack that ability to think themselves into a future. They can't stop and think, OK, in five years time, I want to be here. Or if I do this, this is going to be the logical outcome of this. And I could have this happen to me. Our young people are missing that that ability um, because nobody stopped and asked them, what do you want to be when you get big? That's that's what I think would be the big change to that. If you take a four or five-year-old and say, what do you want to be when you get big? What does that look like? Tell me about your life and actually start teaching our kids to think about what that future looks like.
2: Mm. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, And that's one of the hardest things to get out of some of these young people. What do you want to do? If you could do any job in the world, what do you want to do? And they don't know. Or they're not prepared to share, even if they do know, because to say it out loud would make it real. And if it's real and you don't achieve it, you've lost. So, yeah, fear of failure is a big thing in life.
1: How do you maintain a positive mindset? And how do you help them maintain a positive mindset when they might have a, they're looking down the, the barrel of a um, jail time?
2: The funny thing about criminal law is that the vast majority of people admit what they've done. So most people will accept that they have um, done the wrong thing or or, or committed the crime, so to speak, or they will accept, no, I didn't do that. This is what I did. And I'll acknowledge I did this, but I didn't do what the police say I did. So then it comes down to can you keep me out of prison a lot of the time? Um, And and I never lie to someone. If, If they're going to prison, I tell them, because why would you set them up for that? jarring disappointment i mean a lot of people will convince themselves i'm wrong and that they aren't going to prison but fairly seldom wrong about that prediction sadly but um in terms of positivity i i I don't really try and um and and tell anyone anything different to how i think it's going to be so i'll do the best job i can for you um these are the points that go in your favor these are the points that go against your what you want And I'm going to tell your story to the judge for you, and uh, we'll let let that person decide. You know, I don't determine people's fates, I just put their their best foot forward for them. Bubble sprite of the forest of Arakanui, Dillon's favourite goddess,
3: Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, kia kota I hope you're all having the best day little superstars in your beloved universes. Poirot is also joining in this recording with his loud purring, I hope you can hear that. And I really hope that wherever you are, and whatever's happening around you, be it a purring cat or something else, that you are really finding each day new ways to be, see, do, feel that are really helping you and illuminating for you more and more who you are. A triumph of Nate's art, perfect, unique, and here, making things better, thank you. So as we know, it's been a very intense time for us all over the last several months. We have moved through multiple levels of lockdown. There's been so much learning, so much growth, so much conscious co-evolution. And now here we stand in a state of absolutely unparalleled freedom. And fortunately, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we are now able to frolic about and still scan our QR codes, but gather together and almost feel that we have reclaimed our lives. And having spoken to many dear friends all around the world, of course, this is not the case for them and they're either in various stages of lockdown or still going about their lives in a post-apocalyptic hellscape as my dear friend Anastasia in the States has described it. She's delivering beautiful babies for women that she's never met and swathed in layers and layers of PPE and feeling that there's not a strong structure of support for her and for me. But for us here in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand Whilst we are in a in a state of freedom, which is so wonderful, there have also been widespread and serious consequences of this time for all of us. So a lot of people, of course, are finding things a lot harder. A lot of people have lost their livelihoods. There are increased costs with housing and all these sorts of things. So it's very important, I think, for us to really focus as much as we can on helping each other in our local community and in our wider national community this is a time of recovery for us and I think if we really put our best efforts into getting ourselves back to a strong position we will then be able to help the rest of the world I would love to be able to help the rest of the world as much as we can I think we have to focus on our own immediate reality first. So we're very lucky here in Aote Portistane that we have a number of organisations who support families and people who are needing support in the community. And I'm in the process of organising some donations for these groups of food and toiletries and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> because as we know, this is a really tough time for a lot of people. So I really hope for you, you have been able to move through this time with enough support around you. And if you are struggling, that you're finding support systems that are close to you and your community. And I really hope that if you are able to help others, you can do this and you can really enjoy it. I think this has been a time of awakening for us all in many different ways. And one of the aspects that has awakened for me, of course, is that I am in a position to help others and this is something that I really want to do. And there are many different ways of doing it. So I hope that for you, you're finding the support that you need and you're finding a way to offer support. And if we all do this, I feel, we will be able to recover ourselves for beautiful Aotearoa New Zealand and we'll then be able to reach out, I really hope, across the rest of the world and offer some help as well so thank you for having me I really appreciate this time together thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much kakiti
1: you're listening to Blowing Bubbles we're talking with Steve Franklin Steve we've seen lots of societal changes over the last few months the last year what do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick
2: I would really hope that some of the kindness I saw over the lockdown period and just consideration for others might stick. Um, I do worry that in the social media age, we're creating a uh, a sort of a normal of um, trying to tear people down rather than to support and encourage and bring people along, um, and, and that uh, that sort of. It actually nags at me quite a bit. I do worry about that because social media is just so invasive and prevalent in everybody's lives, and and I'm no different uh, about that. But I just don't know that it's a healthy addition to society. Um, So, yeah, I guess kindness would be – it would be nicer if people were more kind and judgmental – and I think for a few weeks we did achieve that, uh, but I suspect that we're slowly eroding away at the progress made there uh, as we return to a more normal um, sort of state of the nation, if, if if you will.
1: Did you see that kindness in your practice? Did it did it like filter through to the professional areas? I think
2: it did. Um, so the interesting thing about being a criminal lawyer is you don't deal with other lawyers uh, adversarially really we you know we deal with the police we deal with the prosecuting authority so the crown solicitor's office sure um and otherwise you're dealing with a prosecutor from ird or or ministry of social development or probations or somewhere like that but i did note that um people seem more willing to help each other out uh, to step into the breach and fill in for people that sort of thing uh and generally just a bit more understanding and compassionate, I guess, towards each other and, and and the experiences people were going through.
1: Other than the technical things, do you think it's going to have any lasting impact, perhaps on law, or, or how we think of ourselves as a community? I think that... Um, I don't think it's going to make a
2: huge amount of difference in terms of law or how the legal system works. What I do think is that people become increasingly aware of the isolation of New Zealand and um, the good and the bad that comes with that. So the reason we've been able to achieve what we have been able to achieve is because we're small and we're away from everybody else and we effectively can close our border. but that comes with challenges too and that um we need a lot of help from the outside world Uh, and you know shortages of various things one experience we had in our offices when it became apparent we were going to get locked down and we had to try and mobilize everybody to work from home um, we simply couldn't get compatible laptops or computer hardware to work with our system that we could deploy to more staff um, because they typically come from china and China had been in a lockdown state for significantly longer already, and they hadn't been producing and exporting those those goods. So uh, that, that sort of thing, you know, we, we, I think we've become increasingly aware of our reliance upon the world, but also increasingly aware that we can cope without them in a lot of ways too.
1: Do you think that there are lessons from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the the bigger sorts of questions that we face, the perhaps the intergenerational ones, climate change and social injustice?
2: I've never actually turned my mind to that. I mean, well, we've got to have been burning a whole lot less carbon um, for a while. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting was uh, I saw a comment at the end of the lockdown about the number of recyclable coffee cups that have been spared from um, landfill. And I'm a prolific coffee drinker. And you know I have played my part in that form of pollution um probably to the to as great a degree as anyone in new zealand uh but i you know i I desperately try now to use my keep cups um and remember those and you know every time I I use one I smugly say to myself well that's one less cup and lid for landfill you know so I I think a lot of those little change um, have occurred to people Um, my coffee lady that I see every morning on the way to work tells me that um, they use they've got lots more keep cups than they used to have for example now that's just one area that I'm well versed in I guess is coffee Um, but If that happens across every industry or several of the industries and those sorts of little changes surely that will have to have a positive effect over time
1: one of the things that the pandemic has shown us is that we can do stuff if we want to and you talked about how it enabled changes to be made in the court system that you that people have been asking for for a long time do you think that it has readied systems for more radical change i mean you you, talking about doing work in youth justice I don't don't know what sort of overhaul youth justice might be but I imagine there's people calling for it do you think that this knowing that we can do stuff if we want to will spill over?
2: I do think it will Um, and I think um, a really obvious area is it's becoming increasingly obvious that you don't need to be in any specific place to do most jobs uh and what i think uh zoom you know everyone learned about zoom all the hard i mean there was all the early adopters of course but the rest of us kind of just went wow zoom this is pretty cool i i could use this i could Mm -hmm. do this and once you've figured out how to use it and it's so easy to use and it doesn't drop out and it doesn't fail now that we're getting good internet around the country um i always say to myself now why would i want to live in so I won't, you know, go into terrible places, but Auckland. Uh, when I could <laughs> live somewhere like Ohopi Beach or a beautiful beach in the Coromandel or Kai Terry or or where, wherever, you know, whatever floats your boat. Some people might want to live, you know, with a view of, of the mountains or something like that. When I don't, my job is not geographically dependent. And so I think in those sorts of areas, people are, are already doing it, um, you know, spark, are uh, a great example. Spark has had people working from home for years and it doesn't matter where that home is. If you're, if you're the, the suitable candidate for the job, we've got the IT that you can do your job with. Um, and, you know, call centre type work could be done from anywhere. You don't need a building to have a call centre in. You just need the IT for people to be able to um, you know, connect to a system, and I suspect that if you take that out and, and sort of extrapolate that out further and further, you'll find that there's a whole heap of industry and a whole heap of jobs, tasks, and just day-to-day things that can be done really differently over time. And then people sort of initially say no, but then when you say, well, we did this, did it this way during <laughs> lockdown, they go, oh yeah, we did, and it did work.
1: So, and might the the demonstrated ability to change systems that we thought couldn't change, might that lead to progress in things towards Fano and hapū-based systems, restorative justice, those sorts of things that people have been calling for for a long time? Well,
2: the initial thing for me is restorative justice, sometimes a victim doesn't want to be in the same room as, a, um, as an offender, but they certainly want to have their say and a system like we are using right now um affords that opportunity so i'm not at physical risk from you because Mm -hmm. i uh can but i but i do need to see you and you need to see me and you need to see the hurt or the my you have caused me and i want you to be able to see that uh and so we could have a cctv system where they're in different rooms within the same building or we could do something just like we're doing now and were spread out all over the place. But those sorts of things, I've never understood why we don't do that already in restorative justice for for people who are reticent to participate, because all of the studies show that everybody who participates in restorative justice, the victims, the offenders and the whānau of either side, always feel better for having had that opportunity. And you get a more meaningful result in court because a judge can say to somebody, well, what did she say to you and how did that make you feel? And what are you going to do differently next time? You know, and you get an honest, you get honest answers to those questions. Whereas if if that process never happens, it's very easy to be dismissive, I think, and say, oh, no, she's exaggerated this or, um, you know, those sorts of things. Some of the stuff that you read in a typical summary of facts is, you know, fact is stranger than fiction you would read stuff and you would say to yourself that never happened well you would say that i wouldn't because unfortunately (laughs) i know what people do do to each other now but um you would say there's no way that happened that sounds like something from a movie (laughs) and i assure you some of these things do happen
1: unfortunately so let's take foo fighters rope why this one
2: well my favorite band in the world is the Foo Fighters I'm a big live music fan and um, I tend to gravitate to bands that um, can walk the walk Um, and Foo Fighters are fantastic live don't know if either of you have seen them if you haven't you should Uh, and this is one of my favourite songs of theirs um and it's an interesting song because people interpret it in different ways I, I choose to think of it as the rope as being like the tension in a relationship and um, the two people pulling on that rope and there's a, there's a lyric and then um, I'm hanging from you now give me some rope I'm coming loose I'm hanging from you now and I, I like to look at that as needing that support and, that, and, and the help and then it, then it goes around the other way and he, he's helping her or the other person in the relationship and, and pulling them up and I, I sort of think that's a bit what life and what relationships are like
1: Steve, I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time to do them, so we shall have to rattle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years?
2: Uh, Probably the biggest success I've had, professionally speaking, would be within the youth justice system. Um, I have, you know, obviously can't name names at all, but a young man who comes from a steeped in gang culture background who was a prolific offender um, in this part of the world over time. And uh, I I must admit, um, I and everybody else came very close to throwing our hands up in the air and saying, there's just nothing we can do for this young person. But we plugged on and um, he's now, I think, five months uh, without any offending. Um, He's made positive educational strides and uh, completed some NCEA credits and is now uh, looking to go into the workforce um, in one of our good industries. Uh, and, you know, that's really heartwarming because but for the efforts of firstly himself, of course, but for um, some of the other people around him, he would have continued down a pathway of being a, a, a criminal. Um, and then statistically, we we know that he's... Not likely to come right until he's at least thirty-five, and when when you're looking at a fifteen-year-old boy, um, being within the justice system and the prison system for the next twenty years, that's you know you can't give up. You've got to keep trying to keep them out.
1: What is your? So I'm really super- proud of him. Indeed, and so you should be. What is your superpower?
2: I think I'm a pretty good judge of character, so I, um, I like to think <laughs> that if I can see past the uh, the outward presentation of people and see what really they are about. And I use my good friend Mawara as an example there. If you looked at us on paper, we are chalk and cheese, and uh, we argue like chalk and cheese too at times. but I know that i know where she's coming from and i know that you know underneath it all we're not actually that different so yeah i think i'm a good judge of character and i'm a good reader of people
1: do you consider yourself to be an activist absolutely not <laughs> so what motivates you I like helping people um that's
2: uh that's a big thing that's what gets me up in the morning i like setting an example for my kids uh, what that i consider a positive example um and i firmly believe that if a community is good enough to give you a good and enjoyable lifestyle you have an obligation to give something back to it and that's where my um that's where my community involvement and my drive to be involved in the community comes from.
1: And what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to over the next year or so? Uh,
2: well, my my, uh, my my four and a half year old goes to school this year, <laughs> um, and my wife uh, is going to make some changes in her professional life um, to. To help accommodate that and to fit it better around that, and I and I, I too will need to to do that so that we can continue to have our careers and we can continue to make sure our kids are well looked after and educated. So that's probably my number one thought, consumer um, personally mm-hmm. this at, at this time.
1: And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh well.
2: One thing, and it comes back to that being nice and being kind. Um, Māwara will know, I'm not an enormous fan of the current government, shall we say, but leaving political allegiance aside, being kind can only ever be good advice, can't it? And if we could all be nicer to each other and more understanding, the world would simply be a better place.
1: Indeed. Mawera?
0: Steve, you're probably the most activist, non-activist I've ever <laughs> met in my life. <laughs> and I laughed out loud and I'm glad I was muted at the time when you said you were uh- You. Your contribution to our community is absolutely stellar. And not just you as a, a person, but also the business that you're involved in, the contribution that you make through that business, the work that you do with our young people, just everything that you do. It's a privilege to know you and it's really neat to live in a town where I see your hand all over the place. Thank you for everything you you do. We appreciate you.
2: Well, thank you, Māora. That's very kind. Um, but- you know that I consider activist to be a bad word, Marwoodo. It carries negative connotations. So I work with... You're system. a
0: good <laughs> activist.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us.
4: E- Trade the brightest greens of summer for the dreams of navy blue. East in June. Leave the calm Pacific breeze for an Atlantic rendezvous. Cause I've been driving for days on down a dusty road. I can't wait to dive in the waves. Can't wait to lighten my load.
1: their safe spaces around the world
4: brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is
1: brought to you by otago polytechnic we broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is the vocal view to the ocean celebrating summer I'm Samuel Mann a at the Polytechnic Dunedin, and in Fakatani, both a Karatay and Steve Franklin. We hope you enjoyed the show.
4: go when I drive back through Nashville I'm gonna stop and say hello just long enough to write a song that will get me to Seattle cause I've been driving for days on down the dust